John chapter 14, verse, uh, beginning in verse 15. Now, as we come to this, um, what you see in John is that he oftentimes takes a topic and he will sort of relay information and, and proclaim that topic to us. And then what he'll do is he will then go back to that topic later on. And so there's this recapitulation There's this cycle of knowledge and truth that John gives us over and over again. And we find that specifically within John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. And what we see is that throughout the farewell discourse of John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, what we find is that he's talking about keeping and loving the Lord, but also if you love him, you will keep his commandments. Now he's going to hit that again and again throughout chapter 14, 15, and 16. He also speaks about the Holy Spirit, the promised one, the comforter. Um, He uses the term paraclete or advocate. Um, And he uses that term. So he'll talk about the Holy Spirit in 14 that we're about to be in. But I'm going to reference some things in verses 15 as well as 16. Um, And then we also see this idea of peace um, that Jesus gives and he gives to his followers. Uh, But today, specifically, the idea is we need a helper. Now, I don't know about you, um, but oftentimes when I have to do any type of yard work, I'm always looking around for any of my children or anybody who might actually be a help to me. Now, there have been significant times um, in, in, in the midst of uh, doing yard work and gardening, especially when we were, when we were in Virginia, that we would have to um, take out bushes. And there were these not knockout rose bushes that we had that had grown and had kind of overgrown. And I mean, I thought they were really pretty just the way they were, but Katie was not satisfied with them. Uh, and so what that means is that means that I have work to do. Um, and it means that we had to take them out and do some other things. There was also these, these really prickly bushes that were like, had these like blueberries on them. You couldn't eat them. They were just kind of ornamental, but they were these huge. And I remember having to dig them up. And I remember anybody here ever snap the handle of a shovel? Anybody? It's not real pleasant. After that happens, you don't say, oh, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that my foot hurts as I try to dig up the root ball of this prickly bush. And I remember thinking, like, if I just had some help. Now, as, as my son, Benjamin, got a little bit older and he started doing landscaping, he had more tools at his disposal. So I remember one day in particular that we had these uh, prickly bushes, and these are huge, but I don't even know what they were called. They were just kind of ugly and mean. Uh, They were great bushes to, I guess, keep robbers from ever wanting to come in your house because they would get you hurt on the way in. And I remember trying to, I grabbed the shovel and I put it in. I'm like, I'm going to take it up. I'm just going to dig it out. And after about 10 minutes and a snap shovel, I called Benjamin. I was like, hey, Benjamin, can you please come help me? Now, the good news is, is that Benjamin at this time had been acquiring equipment in order to help uh, people, actually, I'm sorry, let me take that back. He was acquiring equipment to make money, okay? He wasn't really trying to help anybody, all right? But I called him because I'm like, son, there is no reason in the world why you have an excavator that should not help me. So he comes over, he brings this excavator, a little mini excavator, he comes over and he grabs the, the bush and literally just picks it up, puts it in his dump trailer, all three of them, in about 15 minutes, And then he just drives off to place them in the dump. And I was like, I knew I had children for a reason. I'm like, this is it. Like, this is for this moment right here. This is why this happened, right? Or or in a similar way, you know, we need help in the midst of our life. Um, Any of you ever uh, wished in, in the midst of hanging drywall that you had a third hand? 
How many of you have ever used your head to actually hang drywall on the ceiling and think, like, why am I doing this? I mean, if you don't know what that is, praise the Lord, you've had a good life. Uh, the, the rest of us, we understand that your head actually use, you're using as a third hand. And so we need help. And in the midst of this, what we find is that the Lord Jesus actually promises help for all believers. A helper who would come and reside with us, who would lead us into peace, who would encourage our hearts, who would illuminate our minds, who we would understand what the Word of God says, and I mean, comfort us in the midst of affliction. All of these things, and we're like, this is what we need. And again, written in John chapter 14, as Jesus has told the disciples, I am going away from you, and where I'm going, you cannot come. But Jesus says, but I am the way. I am the way that makes a place for you with my Father so that you belong. But then, I want you to know that in Christ, in me, you will now know the Father. Because if you have seen me, you understand who God is. You can belong and know the Father, but as I leave and depart, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. So that's where we are in John chapter 14. So, hear the word of the Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who has sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And we all say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, the first is this, and, and you should get this, right? I need help in the task of obedience, right? So all of a sudden, you know, Jesus is talking about belonging, knowing, and in the midst of John chapter 14, he says this about obedience. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. You know, if, if anyone loves me, in verse 23, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
So there's this, this sense in which, and actually this command, that we actually are called to obey the commandments of God. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, that's hard. I mean, anybody failed this week in obeying all the commandments of God? Like every day, like, I mean, all the time, you know, like I saw like four hands. You guys are a holy group, you know, you guys are such good people. I mean, it's incredible. Bunch of liars. All right. So here's what we got going on. You know, when, when you think about this, notice the call of Jesus to the disciples is to keep my commandments, to obey my commandments. And by obeying, you will love me. Now think about this. Uh, there's this old Beatles song. Have you heard it? I need somebody help, just not anybody help. You know, I need someone help. And I, and I love what it says. It says, you know, when I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way because you're prideful and you don't understand what's going on. Now, but now these days are gone. These days are gone. I'm not so self-assured. Now I've find I've changed my mind and opened up the door. There is this sense in which the only way, by the way, that we can actually keep the commands of God and love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is if actually we have a helper to help us do it. So I think that there's a tie-in between the Holy Spirit and what Jesus talks about and the Holy Spirit coming upon us as well as what we see in terms of obeying the commandments of God. Let me um, liken it to this. Sinclair Ferguson likens the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. He says this, without the power of the Spirit, without the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, residing in us, we would lack the love for God that energizes us to keep his law. And so he likens it to... Um, to like a train on tracks. And he says, this spirit of God energizing and, and quickening us so that we love the Lord our God is like the, the engine of the train. But, but without the law of God, our love for him would lack direction. Thus, we discover that the way of Christ leads us more and more to obedience to God's law. Again, the the zeal that we have, the Holy Spirit indwelling us and enabling us to actually obey the commands of God. And again, if you had the Holy Spirit, but you did not have the law of God, the commandments of God, the precepts of God, the testimonies of God that we find within the scriptures, we would lack direction for our life. And a train needs both. It needs power and it needs a railroad track for direction. Now, that is very, very helpful for me as I think about that. Um, Ralph Erskine, um, who oftentimes um, is an old guy, you know, back in the 1700s, 1800s, and he actually would take his sermons, and I don't do this, but he would take his sermons and then he would go home and he would actually compose a sonnet or a poem about the sermons that he would write. Um, all of mine would have been like haikus. But um, here's what he says. He says, when I, the gospel truth, believe... Obedience to the law I give. And when I don't the law observe, I from the gospel method swerve. Thus, the gospel grace and law commands both bind and loose each other's hands. They can't agree on any terms, yet hug each other in their arms. To run to work, the law commands. The gospel gives me feet and hands. The one requires that I obey, the other does the power convey. 
A rigid master was the law, demanding brick, denying straw. But when the gospel tongue it sings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. Again, this, this idea that, that Jesus is saying, I want you to obey my commands. And by the way, when you obey my commands, you are demonstrating to the world and to me that you love me. But the disciples are like, how do we do that? Because we know that the disciples fall and they falter on a regular basis. And yet it's the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So this helper, this helper that, that we need for the task of obedience, this helper that is closer to us and is always with us. So why is this comforting to the disciples? They're about to see Jesus depart from them, and yet Jesus is saying, I'm bringing this to comfort you. Well, last week we talked about the idea that, that God is actually hidden from the people in the Old Testament. He reveals himself, but there's a hidden nature to him. He's like fire on top of a mountain. Like he's, he's the cloud um, during the day, he's a fire at night, but there's always this distance that occurs between God and the people of God in the Old Testament. But when Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up, he reveals the Father to the people. And, and when we look at um, Jesus tabernacling among us, it's saying that God is with us. Some people would even say that the, the whole message of the Gospel of John is that God is with us. But even for the disciples, there were times when Jesus was not with them. Because Jesus, putting on bodily flesh, could not always actually be with them at all times in all manners. There were times that he would go up to the mountain and the disciples were not near him. There were times when, when Jesus would take just Peter, James, and John and the other disciples would, would sort of be left out um, of that. And so, you know, when we think about the transfiguration and, and those types of events. So there's a sense in which Jesus was never with them all the time. But the good news about this is that the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit, the gift that Jesus gives us, he would dwell with his people. And, and, and not only would he dwell with his people, but that he would actually be nearer to them than Jesus was with them. Because in verse 17, this is what we read. You know him, again, the spirit of truth, we'll get back to that. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's why we're called the temple of God. Like our bodies are temples. We think about the Holy Spirit residing within us. And brothers and sisters, you cannot get any nearer to God than him dwelling inside of you. You see, Jesus was revealing to the disciples how close God could come, but when the Holy Spirit would come, he would reside within us. Now, and he, and he goes on to say this in verse 23, where he talks about the Father and the Son, and that we will come to him and make our home with him. This is the idea of tabernacling, of dwelling within. And he goes again in, in verse um, 20, it says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, if you're a disciple at this point, you're scratching your head going, I don't understand how this works itself out. How can I be in the Father, you be in the Father, I in you? Like, I'm just confused by all of these things. And this is why John chapter 14 is so helpful, because it's describing the Holy Spirit that would come. Now again, this helper that would come, the other key word that we see here is this idea in verse 16 of forever. The last word that occurs in verse 16, 
um, 16 is this, that he will give you another helper and be with you forever. Now, let me, let me highlight two words. One is this idea of forever. You see, in the Old Testament, was the, the Holy Spirit would not go um, and not be around the whole time. He would indwell believers or certain individuals at certain times for certain events. And there was this um, idea that David even says in Psalm 51, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. So there's this kind of the Holy Spirit would come and then the Holy Spirit would depart. The Holy Spirit would be used for a time and then kind of back away. But in this, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit that we talk about in the Old Testament would come and dwell with believers forever. Now, that word forever is so helpful for us because this is what it means. It means that no time in your life as a believer in Christ are you alone. Never, never are you alone. When Jesus says, I have come and I will never leave you nor forsake you, he never does because the Spirit of God indwells us. The Spirit of God is near us, encouraging, illuminating, helping advocating for us always. That is such good news for us. That is so good forever. He will never depart. Now the other idea, the other little word in verse 16 is this word, another helper. The idea of another helper, meaning that not one that is completely different, but one that is very similar. So when Jesus says, just as I have been with you, just as I have guided you, just as I have loved you, just as I have encouraged you, I am sending another similar to me in my place. And he will dwell in you and will be with you forever. Now, what's helpful about that is that when we think about not being left alone, even Jesus says this, I will not leave you as orphans in verse 18. I will come to you. Meaning, when he says the word orphan, we think about orphans as those who do not have the protection of one who loves them, who does not have the provision of one who loves them, nor the proximity of one who loves them. But he says, but I will send the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, we see this. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a new concept for the disciples, just like he was not a new concept for Nicodemus in John chapter 3. But the Holy Spirit, we see working itself out. In the the Old Testament, um, again, the Holy Spirit was there, but would be revealed and and fill um, just a few believers. Like we think about Moses and Joseph and Daniel and their statesmanship and craftsmanship. You know, we think about craftsmanship like uh, um, Bezalel and Aholiab. They were granted gifts by the Holy Spirit so that they could, they could make the items of the tabernacle for the glory of God and the worship of the people of Israel. We see that the Spirit of God resided with Moses when he was you know, performing miracles in front of Pharaoh or Elijah and Elisha. But we also see this idea of the Holy Spirit in Isaiah chapter um, 63 where it says this. Isaiah chapter 63, uh, verses 10 through 14. Here's what we read. It says, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Now this is Old Testament, right? So the people of God had, had erred, had pursued false gods, and what in Isaiah says that they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. 
Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert they did not stumble? Like livestock, they go down into the valley. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. There is this idea of the Holy Spirit that is interwoven in the Old Testament, and it is just a small deposit, but it is now fulfilled when we see Jesus saying, the helper will come. He also says this in John chapter 7 at the, great, uh, at the Feast of the Tabernacles when he says um, that this, this living water, uh, I will give you living water, and this living water will come out of you. And what he was saying was that the Spirit of God would so, you know, come forth out of you that you would testify about the greatness of Jesus. We see this in, in John chapter 7, I believe it's 37 through 39. Now, who is this Spirit and what does He do for us? This uh, term that we see is this term paraclete. It is found actually uh, four times in the Gospel of John and in John 14, verse 16, and verse 26, also in 15, 26, and also 16, 7. And it's also found, and it actually points to Jesus in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Actually, um, when we think about this, the, the idea is that, um, that paraclete is an advocate. But it's not so much an advocate that we think about today, like a, like a lawyer, but we think about this advocate, this paraclete, means one who uh, comes alongside. It means a friend or a patron who speaks up in favor of the accused. We also think about these terms in this way, that the Holy Spirit who will come and reside within us, the third person of the Trinity, is also referred to as the comforter, the teacher, the advocate, the counselor, the helper, and the guide. Now, in the context of his departure, Jesus promised to send another, one who would counsel the disciples, one who would lead them and guide them. This suggests, and I, let me quote Colin Cruz, a, a commentator from the TNTC, the Tyndale uh, commentary. He says, this suggests that the coming of the counselor was to replace Jesus' physical presence. And the counselor would do for the disciples after Jesus' departure what Jesus had done for them before it. This is confirmed by the fact that the ministry of the counselor parallels the ministry of Jesus. Like him, the counselor comforts and teaches the disciples, proves the world wrong in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment, and guides the disciples into truth and tells them about things to come. Now, as we think about this, the idea before us is what does the helper, and again, that's how I'm referring to him because we all need help. What does the helper do for us? Well, if you look at verse 26 of John chapter 14, it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So first, so the helper who comes, he will teach us what is right, and he will call to remembrance. Now, specifically, he's talking about the disciples here, because the disciples, I don't know if you know this or not, they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. It had not been poured out upon them at Pentecost. And so what Jesus is saying is, all of these things that I have told you, 
all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit teaches you, you will now be able to understand all those things that I talked about and said to you. And it will be this vast, great illumination of your mind so that you will know what is being said is true. Think about that in your own life. Like when you confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, that the things that you had read in the Bible, you read again, but you read them with a newness. And you were like, I understand what this means. I think about my, my own father who you know, probably came to faith probably in his, right around the time of 40, 42, uh, when his own father passed away. And, and he began to just read his Bible. And, and my dad just reads his Bible all the time. And what he says is, he goes, I understand it. Now, that doesn't mean he does it. Because theory is much more difficult than practice, right? We all know that, right? He goes, but I get it. I understand what Jesus has done for me. And it is so, so sweet to my soul. As I read the promises of God, they are actually you know, these, these wonderful promises that bring great security and great comfort to my soul. That is what the Spirit of God does. Before the Spirit comes into your life, you will read the Bible and you will be misunderstanding it, or it will not be as, as vibrant as it is. But when the Spirit of God resides within you and you read the Word of God, it is like reading a living book. It is reading the love letter that the Lord God has given to his people, and it is glorious. Now, the Spirit of God not only teaches us, but in, in, in John chapter 15, verses 26 through 27, here's what this says. But when the Helper comes, again, I'm just a chapter ahead. I know I'm getting ahead. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So, when the Spirit of God indwells a believer, it bears witness about who Jesus is and how he has broken down the, the, the penalty for sin, you know, he, how he has overthrown the power of sin, how he redeems us, how he justifies us, how he adopts us. And so this, this Spirit testifies. You know, in, in, in some way, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is sort of the behind-the-scenes character within the Trinity. The, the third person of the Godhead is always pointing to and reflecting about the Son and testifying about the Son and what the Son has done on our behalf. But in a similar way, as the Spirit of God bears witness about me, it says in, in verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So there's this idea from the disciples that not only will the Spirit of God who indwells the disciples will bear witness about Jesus, but then they in turn will witness about Jesus to other people. And so the gospel is actually, um, you know, Going forth, and this is where we see in, in John chapter 14, maybe verse 14, where it talks about that you will do greater works, you know, that these works will become more expansive, that the, the expansion of the kingdom of God, the missionary endeavors will go out because the Spirit of God who indwells within us cannot help but tell others and witness about who Jesus is to the world. I mean, that, that's what we see. 
That's the Spirit of God quickening our our hearts and and transforming us in such a way that we actually want to tell others. He teaches us. He helps us. He he does these other things. Let me me give you another one. Um, In in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, let me just go down a little ways. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. This idea that, that there is this um, righteousness, the conviction. I mean, think about this. I mean, when, when you are convicted of your sin, and again, every day we sin in thought, word, and deed. I, I mean, just, anybody blow it this week? <laughs> How about, anybody just totally blow it? And and by the way, you blew it so big that in the midst of blowing it, you knew you were blowing it. In the midst of blowing it. Okay? Um, Yesterday, in my own life, um, uh, we were um, were having a a get-together tonight, and so I was brining uh, salmon, right? And, and so I didn't have a bucket that I normally use. And so I was putting salmon in um, salt and sugar in a mix in, in a plastic bag. And my hands were slippery. And in the midst of doing this, you know, the water came spilling out, hit me. This is salty, sugary salmon water, okay? The salmon water came, hit me, went down the counter, which seeped into the silverware drawer, which then got in the floor. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, I didn't go, oh, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for this opportunity to trust you and not be frustrated by this thing. I was livid. Who was I livid with? I don't know. I don't even know who I I was. It should have been me, right? Like, I'm, I'm the fool who can't, like, zip up a Ziploc bag. You know, I'm the fool who didn't do it in the sink, probably outside. I'm the fool, and I am mad. And, and, and my godly wife, who she's not here, she would blush right now. She's helping kids in the back, right? She says, honey, just go away. Just go away. I will clean this up. I will mop the floor. I will do it. Just go away. You just, you just need to depart. And I was like, yes, I do. And I got, and then I went up to the shower, and I took a shower, and I came down, Katie still, and I didn't know at that point that it had seeped into the silverware drawer and had like gotten salmon sugary water all over everything else. And, and by this time, you know, I'm convicted. Matter of fact, in the midst of me losing it, I'm convicted. How many of you feel that way sometimes? Like, and you just, but you just can't help it. And like, I'm like, Lord, would you please send your helper to convict me of sins? Would you send your helper to co- encourage me. Lord, help me, help me, help me. Why? I mean, some of you feel, um, I'm, this is like a cathartic moment here, okay? You go, why am I so angry about what's going on? Why am I so frustrated by all these things? And in the midst of, and, and quite frankly, this is why we need the confession of sin. Like, I need the confession of sin, not just on Sundays. I need the confession of sin every day where I go, Lord, please help me. Please help me because I can't obey your commandments. Again, Psalm 119 says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Meaning when the Holy Spirit indwells us, when we're able to do this. Now, 
He not only convicts the world of sin, and by world I mean me and you and everyone else, but he also, in verse 16 of John chapter, or 13, verse 13 of John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So there's this idea of the, the declaration of the promises of God and, and, and the future you know, that will happen. We think about that in the book of Revelation. So we have the book of Revelation. We know what will happen to us when we die. We know these things, but he will also guide us. How, how many of us need guidance throughout our life? Every day, I need guidance. So besides... You have the Holy Spirit helping us in doing these things in terms of teaching and bearing witness about us and us bearing witness about him, convicting us of sin and righteousness and truth and, and guiding us, the spirit of truth. We see all of these things occurring with the Holy Spirit. But I think that there's one other place in this passage, and I want to dwell there for a second. But I, I see this, that the helper guides us into peace. And not only does he teach, not only does he you know, help and you know, convict but he guides us, but he guides us into peace. And here's where I see this occurring. In John chapter 14, verse 27, it says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I think that that is a reference to the Holy Spirit who will actually guide us into peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When we think about the, the promises of the world, the promises of, of the world and even, even the, the peace, um, one of the great eras of worldly peace was the, uh, the Pax Romana of Augustus Caesar. And after his conquest in Western Europe, Augustus returned to Rome and built an altar to peace, the Ara uh, Passus, which remains today. Fittingly, he placed it placed his peace monument on the field of Mars, the Roman god of war. And the Roman historian Tacitus gave the most fitting commentary, quoting the words of a Scottish chieftain who had warred against the Roman legions when he says this, they make a desolation and they call it peace. They conquer and destroy and they call it peace. You see, what the world says about peace, it says that the world's idea of peace is often insincere. It is often impotent, meaning that it is seldom more than a hostile truce. It is scanty. It is always, you know, it is giving less than possible, and it is often selfish, this idea of peace, and that there is something that someone else wants in return. But, this, but the gift of the Holy Spirit, the helper, will lead us into peace. Now, one of the symptoms of this disease that we have is called being noisy inside. Inside. Noisy inside. You know what I'm saying? Not on the outside, but noisy inside. The, um, the oftentimes, the, the 17th century English had a great word for how we stir up much ado about nothing. They called it vain glory. Or, in Macbeth's bitter words, life's but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. There's a lot of hopelessness there, isn't it? 
But I want you to think about this, this idea of peace and this absence of peace within our souls. Um, let me give you a couple of examples of the, the frustration that we have. And, and, you, and you'll understand these. What happens when you attempt to control another person's attitudes and choices to bend them to your will? You set yourself up for all sorts of ugly things. Despair, or rage, anxiety, or short-lived euphoria, suspicion, or manipulation. When we try to bend the will of another person to what we want. How about this one? This thing that causes noise and a lack of peace. What happens when you attempt to ensure that you will not get sick and die? You become obsessed with diet and exercise, or litigious towards doctors, or plagued with fear that any nagging pain might be the big one that finally gets you. Anybody struggle with that? I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac. Katie will tell you that. Like all of a sudden I have like, a, and sometimes I have gout, gout flares up or something like that. And, and, and I don't know, anybody here have gout? Anybody, anybody, anybody ever have it? Nobody, just me. I'm sorry. You know, sad. I, I can't even walk sometimes. I get to the point where I'm like, doctor, I think you just need to cut my foot off. Like, I think I'm just done. You know, and then Katie's like, honey, just calm down and get some medicine. Okay, you'll be fine. Okay, and she, she has to reassure me about those things. But there's a noise inside of us. How about this? What happens when you are obsessed with getting people to like you? You become flirtatious or artificial, a coward or a deceiver, a chameleon or a recluse. You ever realize that you can become a recluse and still have great noise on the inside of your heart and soul? Or what happens when you live for success in sports, career, or your physical appearance, and then you get injured, or you finally retire, and someone comes along who is better than you or better looking than you, you get old and wrinkled, and then you just start thinking about what is going on, and there's noise going on inside of you. Let me quote David Pallison, who says this, but when you pursue what you are called to pursue, it makes sense you'd have composure. You've discovered that you're made for what you're made for. Paul once put it this way, flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. When you go after the right things, you'll find what you're looking for. Now in the midst of that, as the people of God and the peace of God which the Holy Spirit brings to us, as he brings, conjures up truth in the midst of our own lives, because, because I know, I know in the midst of your lives right now, there are things that are causing great noise, noise of mind, but also noise of heart. And what we need the Holy Spirit to do is to help us and to guide us in truth so that we can find peace. Because what the Holy Spirit says is that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ the Son. Through his sacrifice on the cross, you are now made into sons and daughters of the Most High King, and you can feel secure. That brings peace. And, and when we think about the, the terms that we're called, you know, think about this, that we are called beloved by God, that we are chosen by God, that we are holy ones, set apart, that we are sons and daughters, that we are brothers and sisters, that we are called out, that we are disciples. 
I mean, the spirit of truth, the spirit of God allows us to, to really stand firm upon the gospel promises so that when, when the storms come and the storms rage, that we will be found standing upon the rock rather than the shifting sands of this world. That's what we need desperately. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will bring us peace. Brothers and sisters, I know that many of you desire peace so great right now because your hearts are troubled. Trust and believe in Jesus. I think about this, you know, Psalm 131. It's, it's a song of a sense of David. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Think about that. This idea, I have calmed and quieted my soul. How do you do that? You do it with the helper. You do it with the Holy Spirit working in your life to bring about peace. To push out the noise of the world and, and, and the false peace that it offers and to take in the peace, the true peace that the spirit of truth will lead you in on. I love that metaphor there. Um, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, now you know what that means, right? Because like, if you don't have a weaned child, you get like a little baby, and you know, we, we, we get to see our, our little grandbaby from time to time. Uh, this past week, we were actually able to see him. And the moment his mother like, picks him up in the midst of crying, he's rooting around for something, right? Like he, he wants something, right? And, and what's funny is that when I pick him up, he's rooting around. I'm like, hey, man, I got nothing to offer you, brother. Like, you're just, like, all, all I'm going to do is frustrate you. You know, but once that child gets weaned, he can sit with his mother. Now, granted, she probably has to like feed him constantly, you know, like mush or whatever it is. But, you know, there's a sense in which he is at peace with himself because he knows that he can sit with his mother and be comforted and protected and loved and provided for. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Like that's the hope for, for us, right? The hope is that our souls would be at peace like that weaned child. Let me conclude with this quote from James Smith. Uh, he was a, a pastor in 1860. He says this, I love to meditate on the work of the Holy Spirit to whom we are so much indebted and from whom we receive such great and invaluable blessings. It was the Holy Spirit who quickened me when I was dead in trespasses and sins. Imparting, and, and, and quickened has this idea, you know, um, like quicksilver, it means that it's alive. So when we say quicken, it means I was made alive, right? It was the Holy Spirit who quickened me when I was dead in trespasses and sins, imparting a new life, infusing new thoughts, and producing new desires in my soul. And having made me alive, he conquered me, subduing the enmity of my heart, the obstinacy of my will, the worldliness of my affections, and bringing every thought into subjection to the obedience of Christ. And having made me alive and conquering me, he then comforts me, 
assuring me of a saving interest in the love of God, the perfect work of Jesus, the precious promises of the word, and the eternal rest which remains for the people of God. And having made me alive and conquering me and comforting me, he sanctifies me by separating me from the world and setting me apart for my Redeemer's glory and praise. He became my guide, leading me into truth, conducting me out of the, da- the paths of danger and directing me in the everlasting way. But he not only guides me, he guards me by preserving me from danger, protecting me from foes, and becoming a wall of fire around me. He corrects me and makes me smart for my folly when I willfully go astray. All of these things the Holy Spirit does for the believer in Christ. Brothers and sisters, is your heart like a weaned child with its mother? Reflect upon and ask the Holy Spirit, ask Holy Spirit to work in your life so that you might trust and believe all the more. Now, in front of us is the table of the Lord. And this table is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. And Paul talks about this, and he gives us the words of institution in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took this bread... And he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And then the same way he took this cup. And he said, this cup represents the new covenant. And this wine represents my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And if you trust and believe in me, then you are saved. If you believe that my body was broken for you, if you believe that my blood was shed for you, if you trust and believe and if you proclaim that I am the way, the truth, and the life, then I will send my Holy Spirit upon you and you will have peace. Now, that doesn't mean that your, your life's going to be easy, okay? Let me just make that clear. But it means that you can have peace in the midst of difficulty, that you can have peace in the midst of strife, that you can have peace in the midst of waiting. That's what he promises. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that you would set apart these elements from their common use. Father, this will always remain bread and this will always remain juice. But Father, I pray, Lord, that you would pour forth grace upon grace upon our people and that the grace would lead to more belief and trust in you and that Holy Spirit, that you would work in our lives to bring about great peace, that you would guide us and teach us, convict us of our sins and that you would be our helper. Father, help us. Jesus, thank you that you were glorified. Thank you that you sent your spirit to indwell within us. And Lord, I pray for peace this day. Father, help us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.